Hello and welcome to the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on June 25th, 2021 from South Carolina Public Radio studios here in Columbia. Just so you know, some of the information in this podcast may have changed by the time you've heard it. This episode features the latest on Washington dealmaking involving infrastructure and police reforms. I talk with Department of Corrections Director Brian Sterling about the latest involving the new death penalty law. We have new and improving jobs numbers for you in our business section, along with some more economic data that I promise you is cool. Guys, I promise. I understand there's data. And Scott Morgan provides us with another installment in his series on nursing and the pandemic. Stick around. Lots of important news for you in our pod. And oh yeah, F9 opens this weekend. Yeah, this is a family here, but a completely different one from that one. Though there's some overlap. Additionally, we want to hear your stories, so we set up a voicemail box to hear from you all about your life during these more certain times. Leave us a one to three minute long voicemail at 803-563-7169. Leave us your name, where you're calling from, and what's going on in your world. Are you going to go see F9? You don't have to if you listen to this podcast. There's no requirement making you do that. I will not be doing it. But if you are... Let us know. If you're going to the movies, let us know what's going on. Uh, Give us an update. It's summertime. Give us a shout. 803-563-7169. Now for the latest in South Carolina. Currently, the spread of COVID-19 is moderate, according to data from the Department of Health and Environmental Control. There have been 9,819 total deaths, and currently there are 596,144 total cases being reported in all 46 counties as of June 25th at 4 p.m. Our seven-day moving average for cases is 144. Currently, 130 people are hospitalized with COVID-19. 33 are in intensive care, and 16 are on ventilators. So far, 41.3%, or 1,773,635 eligible South Carolinians have been fully vaccinated. We're averaging about 6,200 doses a day, and according to Becker's Hospital Review, We are ranked 45th in the nation when it comes to vaccine rates, with Georgia at 48, North Carolina at 49, and of course, Mississippi and Alabama rounding out the bottom. And for you math heads out there, that also includes the District of Columbia. On Thursday, something strange happened in Washington. Agreement. Lawmakers agreed on an infrastructure bill and the framework for the police reform bill that Senator Tim Scott has led negotiations on. But don't hold your breath. First, President Joe Biden announced that a bipartisan group of senators have reached a $1.2 trillion infrastructure deal. Now, this money will be going to improve roads, bridges, broadband, and other infrastructure priorities. The plan includes $579 billion over eight years to fix roads and bridges, billions of dollars for waterways and combating climate change, and also billions to create half a million electric vehicle charging stations across the country, and much more. The big debate over all of this was how it was going to be paid for. The president originally proposed increasing corporate taxes to do so, but funding plans right now include a $40 billion investment in the IRS enforcement budget, which they expect to yield some $140 billion in unpaid taxes and also repurposing some unspent COVID funds. Now, this package isn't as large as Biden's original $4 trillion plan, so hours after he announced the agreement on the physical infrastructure portion, he said that this compromise plan can only advance if it's in tandem with his larger agenda that would pour trillions of dollars into healthcare, childcare, combating climate change even more, and other items. 
something that Republicans aren't fans of doing due to funding issues and saying that this isn't traditional infrastructure, rather entitlement programs. Senator Lindsey Graham tweeted on Friday, quote, no deal by extortion, exclamation point, quote. He added, it was never suggested to me during these negotiations that President Biden was holding hostage the bipartisan infrastructure proposal unless a liberal reconciliation package was also passed. So like I said, don't hold your breath, folks. Speaking of the future, U.S. Senators Tim Scott, New Jersey Democrat Cory Booker, and California Representative Karen Bass released a statement Thursday on the status of police reform negotiations. It reads, After months of working in good faith, we have reached an agreement on a framework addressing the major issues for bipartisan police reform. There is still more work to be done on the final bill, and nothing is agreed to until everything is agreed to. Over the next few weeks, we look forward to continuing our work toward getting a finalized proposal across the finish line. So some encouraging news there that there is a framework, even as these negotiations continue to drag on. Keeping with criminal justice issues, I spoke with South Carolina Department of Corrections Director Brian Sterling on This Week in South Carolina about the updated death penalty law that makes the electric chair the default method of execution in the state and added a firing squad option as well, the latter of which hasn't been created yet and is the reason why two inmates who were scheduled to be executed this month are still on death row due to an injunction by the state Supreme Court citing that they didn't have the option to choose as laid out in the law. I asked Director Sterling how we got here. Well, time will tell if we have those executions. As you know, um, the court uh, put a stop to them last week. So we've got to notify them when we have the firing squad available, um, and then they'll make a decision, and I'm sure there'll be other lawsuits that will follow um, that decision by the court or that order by the court. Mm-hmm. When I first took over on October of 2013, I was briefed on many things. One of the things was lack of drugs to carry out the court's order of a execution. So I asked my team to research how we could get more drugs, and I was told we couldn't. Other states that were able to cure the drugs had a thing called a shield law that would shield the manufacturer, producer, compounding pharmacy from getting, um, from public getting that information, um, being supplied that information. I asked the attorney general's office for an opinion on the shield law, and if our law that we had on the books now was strong enough, We took that to manufacturers and compounding pharmacies, and they still, without an actual law in the books, a stronger law in the books like other states have, they would not sell us the drugs. The drugs had expired about a month before I took over. One of the things that we, the Obama administration did was they said you could not import drugs for, um, you know, purposes of executions. So we set about trying to find it and... We couldn't, so I went to the legislature and testified that um, other states had done this. My role is not to advocate, it's just to educate. Went to the legislature and educated them on how other states were able to carry out these executions and get these drugs. Um, Those bills never really went anywhere. They were introduced, there was hearings and things of that nature. I think um, one of them passed one body but didn't make it through the other, never made it to the governor's desk for signature. Um, and this year, you know, I, I testified several years, but this year they they came up with uh, the firing squad as an alternative. Um, and that passed. That was signed by the governor about a month and a half ago um, or so. And you know, before then, we started doing some research until the ink was dry on the bill. We um, then started doing some more research and working with other states, Utah being one that has a firing squad to see um, how to go about um, the policies and procedures. The law requires us to develop policies and procedures, and that's where we are right now. 
And then with that law, we became the fourth state to have a firing squad. You were talking about how things are still progressing. Give us the latest on that. How does this work? I mean, you knew this was kind of on the on the radar that this was a likelihood, so I'm sure you've been doing some planning. But what needs to happen? I mean, are you going to create a, a chamber out of Broad River? Um, is there going to be a, a, how do you pick the people for this firing squad? How does this kind of work at this point? So the people that do the firing squad will be all volunteers, like everybody else that's involved in um, executions. Um, we are researching whether we're going to have to build a chamber or not. I don't think we're going to have to. Uh, we're looking at other states, what they do. Um, we may have to make some adjustments, um, but that's where we are right now in developing the policies and procedures from a physical structure to actual policies and procedures. Mm -hmm. um, this is a very heavily litigated area, as it should be. Um, so we're going to do this with um, with a lot of uh, diligence and make sure that we do it correctly. You can catch that full episode on youtube.com slash South Carolina ETV. A lot of great content there, folks, I promise. Mash that subscribe button, folks. Mash it. And as we go, a programming note. The governor announced his budget vetoes during our taping Friday, so we'll follow up with that on Tuesday's pod, keep you updated on what's going on. And lawmakers are back on Tuesday, and they will vote to either override or sustain the governor's vetoes in the budget. Yeah, that's some hot action right there, folks. I know you're dying to know. Let's lead off our business section with some positive jobs data. Our state's unemployment rate finally budged more than just a tenth of a percent month over month for the first time since February? Yes, literally, it's been budging by 0.1 since then. The rate moved to 4.6% in May from 5% in April. And just some context, in January, it was 5.3%, so very incremental. Now, this is according to Department of Employment and Workforce data. The leisure and hospitality industry added 4,000 jobs month over month, while trade and transportation and utility jobs also added 2,600 employees to their ranks. Now, several other industries added jobs as well, whereas government, financial activities, and construction industries actually shed a total of 4,600 positions. Unemployment was down in all 46 counties in the top five counties, Bamberg, Allendale, Marlboro, Orangeburg, and Union counties, saw their rates drop to all under 7%. That's good news, folks. Now, all this comes as federal unemployment benefits are set to expire this weekend, Saturday, the 26th specifically. Due Director Dan Elzey emphasized this in his statement accompanying the numbers that 80,000 jobs remain open and folks can find training opportunities at local technical colleges to get retrained for in-demand jobs in as little as 16 weeks. In D.C., Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell was before Congressman Jim Clyburn's House Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Crisis on Tuesday. Powell said several indicators are showing sustained improvement for the economy, such as strong GDP growth, household spending, business investment, and housing prices. Even for those sectors that are still weak, like the labor market, things are improving. Clyburn asked Powell about disparities as a result of the pandemic and what the Fed can do. Powell gave this response. Disparities in economic outcomes along various lines have been a persistent and growing feature of our economy for several decades. We can contribute to addressing those through our tools. It does, of course, take a much broader set of policies from the legislature to, to really make significant progress on this. So what, what we can do really is to focus principally on the employment mandate and to assure that we achieve maximum employment, which, which we now define as a broad and inclusive goal. 
meaning we will not just look at the headline numbers for unemployment, we'll look at all kinds of measures of unemployment, including unemployment and employment for various groups, ethnic groups, gender groups, and things like that. We'll look at, we'll look at uh, it as a broad and inclusive goal. We will also, under our new framework, respond to shortfalls only in, uh, in, uh, in full employment. We will not raise interest rates preemptively because we think employment is too high, because we fear the possible onset of inflation. Instead, we will wait for actual evidence of actual inflation or other imbalances. So those are the, that's the most important thing that we can do. Um, I mean, I, I think the, the point is that uh, there's a growing realization, really, across the political spectrum that we need to achieve more inclusive prosperity. Real incomes at the lower end of the spectrum have stagnated relative to those at the top. Mobility uh, across income spectrums has declined in the United States and now lags that of most, most other advanced economies. These things hold us back as an economy and as a country. And uh, I do think it's, uh, these are important issues that, that relate to the overall performance of the, of the economy and therefore are in scope for us to analyze and, and, uh, and call out. Back in South Carolina, the governor held a ceremonial bill signing Thursday of the COVID liability bill that would limit the ability for an employer or customer to sue a workplace or restaurant that follows COVID safety protocols, even if that person can prove they contracted COVID there. Here's a minute of Governor Henry McMaster. And as a result, while a lot of other states are struggling to get out of, get out of the holes they're in, we are, we are ready to blast off. But one thing we wanted to do was to be sure that the lawsuits did, would not kill what the virus could not. And that is the reason for this bill, is to protect the businesses, large and small, from lawsuits that should not be in court. So this is a, another great step forward for South Carolina in this pandemic uh, season that we're in. We are hoping that it is coming to a, an end soon, but uh, everyone needs to know that we are prepared. We are confident in our businesses. We're confident in our assets in our state, and we know that we are going to have a greater prosperity based on what we've done and what we're ready to do in the next 10 years than we've ever had before. That legislation was a top priority for the business community over the past year. It was officially signed into law on April 28th, which was about two months before the governor and other officials gathered at Cafe Strudel in West Columbia for that ceremonial signing. Okay, let's start off with a sad headline from the Washington Post. Youngest adults are least likely to be vaccinated, and their interest in shots is declining, CDC finds. Okay, all right, Gen Z, our generation of promise. Y'all are failing your first test. Get vaccinated against a deadly virus to help end a global pandemic. Yeesh, millennials, we did our part. We suffered through that boomer-inspired economic crash that flipped everyone's lives around. We did it. We made it. We didn't want to. We had actually no choice, but we did it. (laughs) Now, in a press briefing this week, White House COVID coordinator Jeff Zients mentions where we can improve, even though the country will not meet the president's goal of getting at least one dose into the arms of 70 percent of eligible Americans by July 4th. Where the country has more work to do 
is particularly with 18 to 26-year-olds. The reality is many younger Americans have felt like COVID-19 is not something that impacts them, and they've been less eager to get the shot. However, with the Delta variant now spreading across the country and infecting younger people worldwide, it's more important than ever that they get vaccinated. We are working with state and local leaders to reach them. We think it'll take a few extra weeks to get to 70% of all adults with at least one shot, with the 18 to 26-year-olds factored in. Dr. Anthony Fauci, America's top infectious disease expert, said we have seen a doubling time of about two weeks when it comes to the highly transmissible and deadly Delta variant, which is now accounting for 21% of cases in the country. As to whether this, along with a solid block of folks saying they'll never get vaccinated, will lead to new surges, he said this. There's the persistence of a recalcitrant group that doesn't get vaccinated. There will be local type of regional uh, spikes and outbreaks. I don't foresee what we refer to as a surge as we have known it, namely the three major surges that we've experienced over the past year and a half. Uh, I don't think even under those circumstances that you're going to see things like a thousand deaths uh, a day. I think that is a bit much. But there is a danger, a real danger, that if there is a persistence of a recalcitrance to getting vaccinated, that you could see localized surges, which is the reason why I want to emphasize all of that is totally and completely avoidable by getting vaccinated. And again, there is research that shows the Pfizer vaccine is 88% effective against the Delta variant. Data. Moving on, we continue to look at nurses and the pandemic with South Carolina Public Radio's Scott Morgan and his second story on this issue. If the COVID pandemic gave emergency nurses one thing, it's perspective on their jobs. Peyton Corhorn and Amanda Hennage, two intensive care nurses in Columbia, explain it like this. I think it brought up a lot of ugly wounds that uh, healthcare was trying to hide. Staffing issues, acuity issues, um, communication issues, compensation and essential versus expendable. Like, oh, heroes work here, but then like, what are you doing for us kind of thing? Yeah, like um, I don't need a banner or a cookie or, or a free mask <laughs> or a free mask. Like, you know, I need institutional changes that allow me to take care of my patients in a safe yeah. way. Before we tackle all of that, know that Hennage and Corhorn have nothing but nice to say about their unit coworkers. They both admit that their administrators and staff did a lot to keep each other buoyed emotionally during months of crushing ugliness, and they both appreciate how appreciated they were by their hospitals and by the general public. The problem with idealism, though, is that it doesn't pay the rent, and Amanda Hennage worries that hospitals can too easily rely on nurses' idealism at the expense of real compensation for the intensity and hours often demanded by the job. I think partially because it's majority female, it's easy for them to lean on the idea that don't you want to make a difference since you go into this to make a difference and help people? Well, yeah, but I also have the same bills you do. Yeah. <laughs> I also have student debt, so I can't pay my rent with feel goods and validation. Smiles and hugs. And yeah. smiles and hugs. <laughs> like I need the money and I'm a valuable asset to this company. The U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics put the average salary for nurses in South Carolina in 2020 at just over $67,000 a year. But that's the average of a range that starts about $20,000 lower. Then there's the issue of supplies, which ran out in most hospitals in the state during the opening tidal wave of COVID cases. Corhorn says that supplies have been replenished, but not necessarily improved. 
we have these like ratchet gloves <laughs> that we use yeah. now <laughs> that literally like you put them on, they break, and then you put the next one on and it breaks. And then by the third one, you're like, okay, is this one going to hold up? So yeah, I feel like the pandemic has brought up a lot of ugly wounds that the hospital has been trying to conceal. Michelle Logan Owens is the COO of McLeod Health in Florence. She says that reassurances, including the banners and cookies, were as vital as anything in keeping nurses encouraged to work through the visceral horror of the pandemic's worst days. But she agrees with Hennage that hugs are not enough. She's also correct in that we need systemic change. She says 2020 showed that hospitals really weren't adequately supplied or equipped to handle a large-scale pandemic. What that means for things like ratchet gloves and adequate paychecks isn't exactly clear yet, but where nurses like Amanda Hennage or Peyton Corhorn see systemic wounds exposed by the pandemic, Logan Owens sees the promise. There's been a lot of ingenuity that's come out that I think is going to really drive some of the change she's hoping to see into the future. A lot of that ingenuity has to do with how administrators can learn to better recognize what staff members need and what administrators could do to keep from losing nurses at the worst possible times. Sometimes there were nurses that wanted to stay, but their families insisted that they leave. Now, the nurses who ended up becoming so fatigued, but I always think, you know, did we recognize sooner that this person was really working five 12-hour shifts for six weeks with no break? And, and could we have saved them? Logan Owen says that that side of innovative thinking needs to take into account the way administrators and supervisors communicate with nursing staffs. But she's optimistic that the wounds exposed by the pandemic are addressable. And when it comes to the future of the profession, she has a lot of company. Thanks, Scott. You can find his reporting and that of others on SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. Again, it's online. You've got to type it in a computer or any web-enabled device. Welcome to our wind down section, our little break from the news. We talk about life during the pandemic and want to hear your stories as well. So tell us, tell us what's going on. I, you heard me at the top asking if you're going to watch F9 this weekend. You don't have to. There's no pressure here. I'm not going to unless I'm forced to. Uh, but, you know, if, you, if that's your thing, if that's your bag, baby, do it. Uh, but, yeah, let us know what you're up to. It's summertime. Summer solstice has occurred which means the days are slowly getting shorter, which I don't like, but can hardly notice. But tell us what you're doing, 803-563-7169. That being said, AT, I'm told we have some voicemails. Yes, we have voicemails. And actually, <coughs> just mm-hmm. a programming note. Program, any, another programming little note. programming note is that uh, our uh, Josh intern today, he he's not feeling well, so he's not here. So we're not huh. going to have everyone's favorite segment of the week, Josh's news. Yes. Oh, that's a bummer. But um, we have a replacement for that. Mm-hmm. So I, we've been working him so hard that he's sick. Yes, we worked him. <laughs> we worked him ragged. Uh, we we keep him in a barn and feed him <laughs> oats only. Uh, I see nothing wrong with the oats. I, I mean, I it's my it's my patented it's, feed. Yeah, it's Kevin's patented feed. I love this. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, what is the surprise you mentioned? The surprise is we're we're gonna we have no, we have some voicemails here, so we're gonna do a double dip. Whoa, a, record a, scratch. <laughs> a classic double dip. So uh, I thought you were gonna give air fryers to everybody. No, yeah, uh, everyone look, look under, under your seat. seat. Look under your <laughs> not seat. if you're driving. Not if you're driving. That especially there's two. Um, <laughs> Anyway, uh, let's get this for. And you do have to go see Fast and Furious, okay? If you want to be pals, you got to. When you want to be your fit, family, yeah, okay? If you want those soup, salads, and breadsticks, you're going to have to see it. Uh, so here's our first call, Gavin. Okay. Hey guys, it's Rose in Greenville County, 
Uh, last time I had called, it was a little bit before the teenagers were eligible for vaccination. We were there the next day all together as a family, except my younger child is really disappointed that she's not old enough yet. So hopefully soon, um, under 12 will be available, and she's looking forward to it. School year wrapped up. Uh, we had one full-time in brick-and-mortar and one full-time virtual, and it was the right experiences for each of them. Uh, I will say that my virtual student's teacher was absolutely amazing, the best teacher any of my kids have ever had, and it was a phenomenal year to see them both grow and develop skills and resilience and experiences that we never thought we would have. I've been hanging out with my Girl Scouts. Uh, they finished the zombie preparedness patch series, uh, learning about different kinds of disasters and how do you prepare and how do you be ready and how do you respond. So we're coming out of that, learning basic outdoor skills, doing some hiking, canoeing, archery, learning how to use pocket knives, uh, camping, etc. We're getting ready to do some first aid and tie-dye and all that kind of stuff that makes the summer fun that you can do outside. Beyond that, we're just hanging out for the summer. The high schooler is going to get the learner's permit, learn how to drive over the summer. So I guess there'll be some anxiety with that on my part, although I know the high schoolers also get a little bit of anxiety, particularly the way that people seem to have forgotten how to drive. Beyond that, we're just chilling out at home and hope you have a great summer. Rose, thanks for calling. It's always great to hear from you and about how you all made it through as a family event to get vaccinated. Yeah. I know we were just giving Gen Zers a hard time, but not yours. They are exempt. <laughs> you know, this, is, again, does not apply to you if you've gone vaccinated like uh, medical professionals are urging. And, of course, a big shout out to our teachers that really made it work during these challenging times. So tough. And the the driving at the end. The That's crazy to me. The, the older I get, the more I think, like, oh, my God, how do parents <laughs> deal with this? Like, that has to be so terrifying to turn your teen loose on these roads, especially. I, it's also a year earlier than it was for me up in mm. New Jersey. I don't know about you, but, like— I think I was 15 and nine months. I think you have to be 16 in New Jersey. Uh-huh. And those—that one year is, is huge. I mean, I thought in South Carolina you could be, like, you know, as long as they can walk, they can drive, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> if they're not in the Why business, are we putting age limits on kids driving? <laughs> they should be able to drive when they can see over the street. Yeah, the other day I was actually driving around and I saw this this I saw a nine year old driving a child driving a a, a huge pickup truck and I was like, oh my god, no! And uh, just like uh, two tons of just like death metal. Yeah, death machine, but uh, also a little little nice boy. Okay. Anyway, uh, thank you, Rose. You're always a great listener. Always doing. You're you're carrying a lot of water for all the other listeners. Oh yeah. I uh, appreciate, appreciate it. it. If you if you wanted to call every day, that'd be great. Yes. Anyway, Gavin, let's, get that double dip. Let's hit the the second of our double dip. The the, the mash the, the the button. The the, the bonus <laughs> dip. Okay, here we go. Hey, Gavin and AT. This is Catherine calling from Aiken, South Carolina. I first called in almost a year ago, right after my daughter, our third child, was born. This was when the summer wave of COVID was really starting to hit hard in the state, and it's incredible to think how far we've come since then. My daughter will be a year old in just a few weeks, and I'm so grateful that we already have multiple vaccines out and are able to do our normal activities with friends and family. It's such a blessing. I was glad to hear Dr. Sullivan on the show discussing the benefits of getting the vaccine for expecting and nursing mothers. I got my shot when my daughter was six months old. 
and she was still nursing, and it's pretty cool to think that she received some of those COVID antibodies from me. So, big shout-out to breastfeeding. Great way to keep moms and babies healthy. I'm excited to hear more of Scott Morgan's series on nurses. I'm an operating room nurse, and I think the pandemic really exacerbated and brought to light the consequences of the ongoing nursing shortage we have in this country. I think there will need to be some changes in our healthcare systems and in the education of nurses if we're going to have enough professionals to care for our population. That said, shout out to all healthcare workers. It's been a stressful year, but also reaffirming that what we do is so vital. And finally, on a lighter note, I just wanted to share that our family has started getting into golf. It started with my husband, and then our five-year-old started hitting balls and going to the driving range with him. And now they really want to turn this into a family activity, which I think is very sweet. I've never played before, but my husband and his enthusiasm bought me a set of clubs, and I've been taking some swings into the net in our backyard. So if you have any tips as avid golfers for someone who's just getting started in the game, please do let me know. Um, appreciate you and all your reporting. Keep up the good work and have a great week. Bye. Catherine from Aiken. Yes, I remember that call from last year when you not only had your baby, but we were talking about working on the front lines during all this as well. Like, yeah. what? Like, amazing that you're still kicking. You're, you sound great. Sounds like everyone's doing great in the family. And, of course, huge shout-out to our medical professionals. It's just a never-ending feeling that we just had to keep reminding ourselves just how much we went through that year and yes. just what you guys especially had to do. Can't take it for granted. And then raising a newborn during a pandemic. Ugh. I mean, I know Ugh. my sister-in-law was doing that, too, when they got two kids and running around. So shout-out to you being a mom, uh, doing all that. You got, you got vaccinated, too, while, of, while nursing. Real and yeoman's work, Gavin. Yeah. <laughs> real yeoman's <laughs> we work. We were talking about this phrase, and I'm a little on the fence about it. But <laughs> you just proved that these safe and effective vaccines are safe and effective even while nursing. So yep. like we heard in that last episode our uh, from that doctor. So way to go, Catherine. Thanks for calling. And Love glad that golf. you're taking up golf. Oh, yeah. Uh, again, <laughs> we told our last caller, we don't really have too many recommendations. I'm going to have to see your swing. I'm yeah. going to have to see a putt. I'm going to have to analyze. Gavin's got to, yeah, he's got to run your swing <laughs> through his old uh, mind computer no. and figure out how to sit. But like, I the, will say, AT, you're a good coach. You can always pick out things pretty, yeah. pretty easily. I'm, I'm just like, Gavin is just keep your uh, head down. Yeah, but it, it, keep your head down. <laughs> keep your head down. It's absolutely huge. Keep your eye on the ball. But like the best way to get better is just play. Mm-hmm. And it's nice. Like my wife and I, we started golfing. Caitlin and I started golfing during the pandemic because like we're in our thirties, and it's a type of thing that we could potentially do till we're like sure. eighty. Yeah. You know, so it's it's a great family activity. And if you get those kids started early, oh yeah, they might be uh, superstar golf kids. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, At speaking about doing things in your eighties, if, if you're doing these activities with your wife, I don't yeah. know if you'll be able to, based on what you were telling me about your painting experience <laughs> yes. this week. In in <laughs> uh, an update on the Shire family uh, living room renovation, we've ordered our couch. <laughs> the couch has been the ordered. The couch is ordered. It's not here yet. But uh, in preparation for the couch's we, arrival, we we decided to to paint our combined living room kitchen area. It's a big space. It's pretty big. Open concept. It's open concept. Yeah, it's not quite full HGTV quality, <laughs> it's, but it's, it, close. It's, it's not far off. Maybe in like 2008 HGTV, you know? But anyway, <laughs> the, the original. So when I was at when I was leaving for Spoleto, Caitlin she said to me, "Oh, I'm going to paint the room while you're gone. Mm-hmm. It will be my project." Sure. And I, I looked at her in the face and I said, babes, you're a liar. Incredible. And she goes, I'm going to do it. And I was like, okay, liar. Fast forward. Fast forward. Fast I, and furious forward. Fast and furious forward, baby. Uh, <laughs> well, I get back from Spoleto and half 
of the space is taped off. <laughs> That's a start. Let's start. <laughs> it was not painted. And so on Wednesday, we both took off mm-hmm. and worked uh, and worked <laughs> the whole time. So uh, she thought, hey, maybe we could get this done, maybe like six hours, and then we could do something in the afternoon. I go, this is going to take a long time. <laughs> oh, Double gosh. digit hours. It, it took 13 and 13 a half hours. 13 and yeah. a half hours. Yes. But so Caitlin had picked gray paint and mm. she had three different grays and she wanted me to pick so i picked this one i feel like right? i should have been consulted but okay can continue this yeah. is your house it's, it's our house it's true <laughs> but um but maker. so i paint about mm. three by three square of this thing and i go caitlin i i i think this is too blue. dark i think blue. it's blue oh deceptive. and she goes mm, maybe if we paint more mm. it'll look more uh-huh. <laughs> i've seen this story before <laughs> so we paint the whole damn thing and needless to say, I have a big blue room now. Oh, I mean, if it's a bluish gray, that's kind of it's that's n- kind of it's, in. It's blue. I was scared it's gonna be too dark. I don't want too dark gray. You gotta go blue. light. Gray You'll these have days. to come see it. It looks well, like you know, it's yeah. basic. It's barely not sky blue. What what color is the couch again? It's black indigo. Oh, ooh. so we wanted gray with Upgrade. a little blue because it's yeah, black sure. with a little blue. So, you know? Yeah, okay. But we got full blue. It's full blue, and it's a. Uh, yeah, we think it's a happy mistake. Caitlin's she's pleased with it, fine. so I'm happy she's happy. You know. Yeah, but you said you know when I was talking the 13 and a half hours on your yeah. body and your I, already creaking body. My uh, <laughs> the the insides of my legs are uh, pretty sore. I'm not gonna say because I was like cliffhanger hanging yeah. off of walls and stuff trying to get nooks and crannies and uh, my nooks and crannies are, are yeah well this hey this is a family program here fella. Uh, uh, <laughs> I also mentioned to you when you were telling me this I said. Jeez, it's like, would you rather move or paint? I think I would rather move. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I know you're doing a lot of moving already when you're moving things around when you're painting, but to move, I mean, let I got us a lot know. of crap. Let us a lot know. Of crap. Yeah, yeah, let us know. Maybe you've done both. Yeah, but I, I, I just want to say, like, my wife is the type of masochist who uh, she runs two <laughs> bars. One of is a bar restaurant. The other is just a bar. And she works 10 to 12 hours a day. Mm-hmm. And so her idea of a nice, easy day off is working 13 hours. That's, so, that's beautiful. Um, that's my wife, folks. If you know someone like this in your life, or if you prefer moving or over painting. If you are that person. <laughs> let us know. Tell us why you are the way you are. <laughs> We're trying to understand. Yeah, I just don't get it. <laughs> let us know. Any, uh, yeah, any fun summer projects, we're here for you. All right, Gavin. We'll say goodbye to the folks. All right, folks. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to the pod. If you're painting, call us. Keep us on if you're doing those projects because we're here for you. And you can show us your appreciation by leaving us a review on iTunes or a voicemail, 803-563-7169. Also, stay up to date with the latest news on SCETV.org and SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. And don't forget to support your local newspapers. For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. I'm happy taking the pills.